We're going to try to get through the first 11 verses of chapter 1 tonight as we start a five-week series on Pentecost out of Acts chapters 1 and 2. Our plan is to take two weeks to get through chapter 1 and then three weeks to get through chapter 2 before we take a couple weeks off around the holidays. And tonight we're going to look at preparation for Pentecost, Acts chapter 1. Now, especially if you're one that takes notes, you're going to have to really take some notes tonight because we're not going to be turning to a lot of of places, but I'm going to mention them and I hope you'll write them down and refer to them a little bit later on. Um, Because one of the first things that I want to, to share with you tonight is this. If you would go all the way to the end of the book of Acts, to Acts chapter 28, the very last verse, there is a deliberate contrast being drawn between what is said at the end of the book of Acts and where we start in the book of Acts. And that is because at the end of the book of Acts, you have Paul under house arrest in Rome, and the Bible says that he is preaching the gospel with boldness, with great courage and confidence. When you contrast that with this group of people that have just witnessed the crucifixion of the one that they've been following. And as Acts starts out, there's a small group of people. uh, They're in Jerusalem. They're a little uh, frightened, disoriented, uh, you know, a lot of things going on. And so you have this little band of believers at the beginning of Acts in Jerusalem. And then you've got, at the end of the book of Acts, the gospel going to the furthest parts of the earth, the known world at that time, Rome. And you go from those who are lacking confidence and lacking boldness and lacking courage to a group of people who are turning the world upside down. Well, the book of Acts is going to tell us, how did that happen? How did we go from this small little band of believers to this great, mighty force called the early church. How did that happen? Now, as I said, too, this five-week series is really a foundation for the six-month series that I'm going to do next year on Sunday morning on the Holy Spirit. So actually, when we get there, sometime in January, for those that have not been here, so you guys are getting a leg up, uh, I'm going to encourage everyone to, to listen to these five messages out of Acts because they really will set a foundation for our series on the Holy Spirit come February. Because as I've said the last few weeks, if Bethlehem is God with us and Calvary is God for us, then Pentecost is all about God in us. And Pentecost, of course, means 50 50 days after Passover was the celebration of Pentecost. Now, there's so much in these 11 verses that I could have taken five weeks to just teach on these 11 verses. So obviously, I had to pick and choose what I wanted to share with you as the Holy Spirit impressed things on me. So let's just dive into it tonight and see what the Holy Spirit has for us tonight. The first thing I want us to notice is that Luke is the author here. 
the same guy that wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he starts out by saying, I wrote the former account, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Again, if you're taking notes, you want to write this down. Luke chapter 1, verse 3 mentions the fact that Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke for this same man, Theophilus. And so now he's writing his second sort of book uh, in the history of what's going on. And the important thing to note here is that our faith is founded and grounded in historical reality. That's one of the important things that Luke wants to nail down here with his friend Theophilus is that this really happened, what I'm going to tell you. The other thing you'll notice is this. In verse 1, he talks about the fact that I'm talking to you there in Luke about the things that Jesus began to do. In other words, what he's reminding us of, and this is something even we Christians sometimes forget, is we think that once the ascension happened and once Jesus went back to heaven, that his ministry was over. And what Luke is going to remind us of in the book of Acts is, no, no, no. Jesus began his ministry while on earth. But he's continuing his ministry now in a very powerful way through the church and by means of and the power of the Holy Spirit. So his work isn't over. It began, but now it continues. And it continues with who? With us. You get that? <laughs> so today, even sitting right here, we are an extension of what started in the book of Acts. We're just continuing what Jesus began way back 2,000 years ago. It continues now with us. Because the tradition and the truth and all of that, the foundation of our faith, has been passed down from the apostles over each generation, and now it's landed in our lap. And now we are continuing what Jesus has done. To show you a little bit about the historical reality of this too, uh, because again, I could have taken a whole message on just the ascension of Jesus and what it means. I want you to draw your eyes down to verses 9, 10, and 11 of chapter 1. And you'll notice there the four words that Luke uses for the experience that the disciples are having as they see Jesus ascend into heaven. And he uses these specific terms because he wants us to understand this really happened. They saw it. Notice the word watching in verse 9. Then the word staring in verse 10. Then the word looking in verse 11. And then the word saw at the end of verse 11. All those words speak about a visible sight, visible experience. They literally, visibly saw him go back into heaven. So again, it's very important that Luke remind Theophilus and remind us that what we believe is based on historical fact and reality. It is based on eyewitness testimony. These people actually saw the risen Lord and then they saw him go back into heaven. Real quickly, what does the ascension mean for us? It means Jesus reigns. It means heaven is real. It means Jesus is coming again. And it means we will be with Jesus. There you go. There's your message on the ascension. <laughs> Read it in verses 9 through 11. Now what I want to get to tonight 
are three things that you see Jesus doing here, and then three things that the Holy Spirit does here that are really important for us today in our walk with God. The first thing I want you to notice, and I'll just start reading again back in verse 1 of Acts 1. I wrote the former account, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After he had given orders by the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. To the same apostles also, after his suffering, he presented himself alive with many convincing proofs. He was actually seen by this group over a 40-day period and spoke about things, matters concerning the kingdom of God. I want to draw your attention to the words convincing proofs there in verse 3. Why did Jesus not only rise from the dead, but why did he hang around with his followers for 40 days? Because he wanted to give them such irrefutable evidence of the reality of his resurrection and of who he was. He wanted them to be so sure, so certain, that they would never be the same and that they would never back down from believing in, from teaching, from witnessing, and from sharing that Jesus Christ is alive, that he lives, that he reigns, and that death could not hold him. Forty days, that's a long time to try to prove over and over again. And it reminds us that our God is a God that wants to nail things down so strongly in our life that we can be faithful witnesses to these things. He wants us to be so sure, so assured, so certain of these realities so that we have these very strong convictions about who we are, who He is, and what and why we believe the things that we do. We're going to talk more about that Sunday in our message from the book of Jude. So that's one thing. Jesus gave proof. But notice also I read there in verse 3 that Jesus also shared principles. It says He spoke, He taught them about matters or principles concerning the kingdom of God. For 40 days, Jesus wasn't just like, hey guys, I'm alive, right? And then come back the next day, I wasn't kidding, I'm really alive, you know? No, he actually used these 40 days as a dynamic teaching ministry. And what was he teaching them about? The rule and reign of God, the kingdom of God. That's what he taught them about. For 40 days, Jesus gave them a series of messages on the kingdom of God. Of God. Now, to encourage any of us who are teachers, you will see here, even in this passage, that even the great and greatest teacher of all time, Jesus Christ, had an audience that didn't always get what, they, what he was teaching. Okay? Because we're going to see later, they, they really didn't grasp it. And what they did grasp, what they could understand, what they could comprehend, was only by the aid of the Holy Spirit. We'll get to that. So, Jesus gave them proof, Jesus gave them principles, and then Jesus gave them, notice, a promise. In verse 6, When they had gathered together, they began to ask Him, Lord, 
Is it the time when you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? We'll come back to that verse later. He told them, you are not permitted to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the farthest parts of the earth. The promise He gave. He gave them proof of His resurrection for 40 days. He gave them principles for 40 days concerning the kingdom of God. And then, before He ascended back to heaven, He gave them a promise. And the promise was, My Holy Spirit... The Holy Spirit of God will come upon you and empower you and enable you to do what? To be my personal witnesses. And we'll, again, talk more about that a little bit later on. So those were the three things that Jesus did during that 40 days after He resurrected. There was proof, there were principles, and there was a promise of the coming Holy Spirit who would empower them. But because we want to really focus on the Holy Spirit tonight and for the next five weeks, looking at the book of Acts in that context, I want you to go back now to verse 2. And I want you to see something that's really important that really didn't jump off the page to me until I had really like looked at it several times and then it was like, oh, yeah. Notice what Luke says. I wrote the former account, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after he had given orders, commands, or instructions. Notice, how did Jesus do this? By the Holy Spirit. So the first thing we see here is that the Holy Spirit was actually the instructor as Jesus was teaching. The only way, and this was before the Holy Spirit actually came in and indwelt them, that He had to be there in order to take the words of Jesus and what Jesus was teaching, even though He was God, even though He was the greatest teacher of all time, the ministry of the Holy Spirit had to be there to sort of cut through the muck of their minds, to cut through the spiritual darkness, to enlighten them. That's what the Holy Spirit has always done. That's what He continues to do. In fact, here tonight, let me just say this very practically. If you get anything out of my teaching at all, it is going to be because the Holy Spirit is enabling you to understand and grasp and comprehend spiritual truth. Because none of us could do that apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's the whole reason why even people who don't know the Lord have to have the ministry of the Holy Spirit working on them and in them before they even come to know the Lord. Otherwise, they couldn't even understand the gospel in a way that they would come to know Jesus as their Savior. That's why I strongly believe in what I just call the pre-salvational work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. That's why the Bible tells us to pray for the unsaved. And, and to pray that the Holy Spirit would bring about an understanding and, and, and break through the darkness and, and give them light so that they could understand the Word of God and come. Because 
Even Paul said to the Corinthians, no man can understand the things of the Spirit or spiritual things apart from the Spirit of God. That's why every time you and I come to the Word of God, we should pray, Holy Spirit, help me, guide me, teach me, because apart from Him enlightening us and giving us that insight, we won't have it. We will not have it. And so the Holy Spirit is absolutely key in our understanding truth, in our understanding and comprehending and grasping spiritual truth. Even Jesus, the Bible said, taught them, instructed them, how? By the Holy Spirit. You cannot underestimate the ministry of the Holy Spirit and how He can bring a connection, how He can make a connection to us that no one or nothing else can. You know. And Jesus even said, when He comes, He will teach you. He will guide you into all truth. And so we have to rely on the ministry of the Holy Spirit to understand the Scriptures and to understand truth. But there's something else here. Notice as you go down to verse 5. Not only are we instructed by the Holy Spirit, but if you are a Christian, then you have been immersed in the Holy Spirit. For Luke said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The word baptized simply means to be immersed. God immerses us, if you will, in the Holy Spirit. And what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's simply placed, and that the Holy Spirit literally fills up as much as He can fill up these human lives and souls. In other words, we, we learn in the Scriptures that we don't get uh, part of the Holy Spirit. We get all the Holy Spirit can, can get inside of us, if you will. And so we are baptized or immersed into the Holy Spirit. It is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It is an overwhelming of the Holy Spirit. And every one of us, not only then is instructed by the Holy Spirit, but we are literally placed in this new environment that the Holy Spirit dominates. And then we have a choice as a Christian, you see. We can choose to live by the Spirit and, and so do the Spirit, or we still have the flesh, and we can live in the flesh and live by the flesh and so do the flesh. After we become a Christian, we have a choice. Before someone becomes a Christian, they don't have a choice because they don't have the Holy Spirit. All they are relying on is the strength of their flesh and their own wit and wisdom and their own natural inclinations and, and their own intuitions and all of that to be able to navigate life. They cannot go up to a higher plane because they don't have the Holy Spirit. They've not been immersed in the Holy Spirit. And remember, I said that the word baptizo in the Greek language was a word that was used to describe the pickling process. I've shared this with you before, that you take a cucumber, you immerse it in the liquid, and you leave it there until it literally transforms into something totally different. 
becomes pickled, you see. And that's what God wants to do with us. He wants to literally immerse us in the Holy Spirit so that transformation will take place. Old things are passing away. All things are becoming new. If anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. All by the Holy Spirit and our immersion in the Holy Spirit. That's why when people even ask me, why do you immerse people when you baptize them? Why do you not settle for sprinkling or just throwing a little water on them or whatever? Well, because... The word baptizo literally means to immerse. And if you go to a Greek Orthodox church, the Greeks know what their language means. The Greek Orthodox churches immerse people when they baptize them. Because it is a picture of us literally being immersed into the Holy Spirit. It is that outward symbolic uh, you know, illustration of what has already taken place internally. So we are instructed by the Holy Spirit, we are immersed in the Holy Spirit, but we are also infused with the Holy Spirit. Notice in verse 6, when they had gathered together, as they began to ask him, Lord, is this the time when you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Now remember I said that even though Jesus was the greatest teacher, his, his audience didn't always get what he taught. And even by this very question, you can tell that they did not get the teaching that Jesus gave them. One, they're focused on future, and all they think about is, well, since you've resurrected, it's time to just bring the kingdom in, right? No. And then second, notice what their focus is. It is way too small. It is way too narrow. These folks are still thinking only about Israel. Is it time for you to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, wants them to catch a vision. It's not just about Israel. It is to go to the furthest parts of the earth. And that's why at the beginning of Acts, you have this small band of believers who are stuck in Jerusalem. And by the end of the book of Acts, you've got them going to the furthest parts of the earth. Because Jesus even said, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, yes, but also in Judea and Sumeria. And where? To the farthest parts of the earth. Don't keep it to yourself. This thing is going worldwide. I want everybody to know. I want everybody to hear. And here's one of the principles I want to share with you tonight. It is only through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives do we really catch a vision of the big plans and the big picture of what God wants to do with us corporately and what God wants to do with you individually. Many of you have shortchanged yourself and your vision, if you will, is way too small and narrow. Because like these disciples, you're just thinking about this big. And God is saying, oh no, 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 no. Got to be bigger than that. And how does that happen? It happens through us allowing the Holy Spirit to illuminate us and to minister to us in our lives. And then notice what Jesus says. You're not permitted to know the times or the periods that the Father has said, but you will receive 
power, supernatural, explosive, miracle-working power. Power that is God's ability shared with you. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. It literally means to begin operating from within you. Being the primary influence in our lives. What's Jesus talking about here that Luke records? It is the fact that not only does the Holy Spirit instruct us and immerse us, He infuses us with supernatural, explosive power to live in our lives. It is the Holy Spirit who empowers us and enables us, you see. And specifically here, notice what Jesus is saying. I'm going to give you this power through my Spirit primarily to do what? To be my witnesses. And that doesn't always mean to go to somebody that doesn't know the Lord and share the gospel with them. To be a witness of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit is simply to live in a different way. To be evidence, to be irrefutable evidence that God is real, that God is alive, and that there is a power greater than me operating in my life. That's what it also means to be a witness. Now, obviously, there is the spoken word. And there are times and opportunities that God gives us to share the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ with those that do not know Him. But Jesus here is simply saying, you can have supernatural, explosive power, God's ability pulsating through your life every day through the presence of the Holy Spirit. He literally will operate from within you. And hopefully you will allow Him to be the primary influence in your life. Now, let's pause for just a second. It is primarily then the Holy Spirit that makes all the difference in the world between the beginning of the book of Acts and the end of the book of Acts. It is also primarily the presence of the Holy Spirit in His ministry that makes the difference between where the disciples were in the Gospels and where they are here in the early church. I mean, again... Peter's just such a great example. Take Peter, who in the Gospels around crucifixion time denied the Lord three times. I don't even know him. And now you're going to find here in just a few days, Peter is the one of all of them who stands up in front of thousands of people and has this boldness and this confidence and this courage that he never had in the Gospels. Even when he was following Jesus, he never had it. What's the difference? The presence of the Holy Spirit in his life. The power of the Holy Spirit. That's what God wants us to get. He wants us to see just how vital, essential, important, and what a difference the Holy Spirit can make in our life when we, when we open ourselves up to His presence and His ministry in our life. He will instruct us. He will literally immerse us and begin to transform us into the likeness of Christ. He, he, will, he will literally, you know, totally be our environment that we can live in so that again, no matter what is happening around us or anything, we can rise above it and then He will empower us. He will infuse us with God's own power. 
and it will make all the difference in the world. And that's why, then, the book of Acts begins to answer the question, how did the church go from this little band of believers in Jerusalem to being a church that is literally encompassing the ends of the earth? How did that happen? It happened through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, for just a couple minutes we have left, I want to bring this real practical to us. How do we go from where we are in our life right now to where we could be? Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. How will we as a church go from this level where we are now to the level that God wants to take us? It's going to be through the ministry of the Holy... It's going to be through being open to the Holy Spirit of God. That's how we get there. That's how we do it. And that's why this series in the book of Acts and this upcoming series on the Holy Spirit is so important because so many Christians obviously have the Holy Spirit in their life, but they've never really learned to live by the Spirit or walk in the Spirit or be filled by the Spirit in such a consistent way that it just transforms their life. They're still trying to do it sort of on their own, in their own power and in their own strength. And Paul even points this out to the Galatians. He says, you started out by the Spirit, but now you're trying to make progress through human effort. And that's where many Christians land, is they're still trying to get there by human effort rather than by means and enablement and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit of God. My hope and prayer through this series, even here in the book of Acts, is that you and I will be more and more open to who lives in us. God lives in us. And God wants to unleash His power and presence into our life and through our life every day so that we can be witnesses that God is real, that Jesus is alive, that His ministry continues even through us today. That the reason we can live the way we live is because Jesus is on the throne. He's at the right hand of God. And He's still directing things through His church by means of the Holy Spirit. Now with that said, a couple of things to wrap, wrap it up tonight. You're going to want to mark down on your calendar someplace November 17th, 2017. That is going to be a historic day in our church's history. Because at 10 a.m. on Friday morning, I go to downtown Phoenix, and we close on that loan, and I sign the papers. Yeah. And what that means for us, then, as a church, is that the month of December will be a month where we are signing contracts with all of our subcontractors. And in January of 2018, we break ground. That's what it means. Now here's what else it means. That means God wants to prepare us this next year before we even get over there. 